Welcome back to Thirsty the Podcast. I'm Laura Koop. And I'm Heather McGee. Today, we're talking about the road less traveled with Emily Huey. Welcome back, everybody. As a reminder, subscribe to The Thirst Trap on Spotify and Apple. It's just $1.99 a month. You get some bonus episodes each month and 10% off in the Thirsty Shop, which is filled with mugs, hats, stickers, t-shirts, all kinds of fun stuff, as well as a new sweatshirt called Assemble the Group Chat. Super fun. I haven't bought that one yet, but I live in my other Thirsty sweatshirt, as Heather knows. And also as a reminder, share um, the show with your community, anybody who you feel like would really connect with the content and rate, review, and follow us on socials. Hi, everyone. We are so glad to have you all here. And today I am so excited to welcome our guest, Emily Huey. Now, she's a writer that I have known about for a while. I discovered her online through a mutual friend, and she has a lot to share about divorce, what she's learned about divorce, making your way after a big life change. I know I've been really inspired by your story, Emily, and how open you are. You know, on Thursday, we, one of our principles is that we're very open and candid, and we talk about the good stuff, the bad stuff, everything in between, th- mistakes we've made, things we've figured out about ourselves. Because a lot of times people act like everything's perfect and they strive to like present this like perfect image to everyone when when life is a lot richer, actually, when you embrace the whole of it. So that's why we're really excited to have Emily on because we know that's also her take on life. Um, so I'm more excited about it. I think it helps everyone feel a little less alone when you realize we're all trying to figure this out together. And so that's pretty exciting. First, Emily, uh, is there anything I would love to, I'm sure everyone would love to get to know you a little bit better. We know you're a writer. Is there anything else you would like to kind of introduce yourself? Yeah. I mean, something that you just said, it reminded me of something that the poet Muriel Rukeyser said, if one woman would share her story, it would split the world open. And I think that's why like there's really power in women sharing their stories. And so thank you for having me on. And I hope that, yeah, it's, it's not always pretty. But it isn't for anybody. So, so about me, I don't know. I spent my, I grew up in the Midwest, spent my 20s in Mexico. Um, I was a travel writer, met a really wonderful guy, lived in Mexico with him, decided to move back to the States. Oh, we got married very young, <laughs> um, decided to move back to the States and have some kids. And I became a stay at home mom, but still like did some freelancing here and there and like a little bit of consulting. And, um, then it became clear to me that it, I really needed to get a divorce. And, and a lot of it was centering around my sexuality and what I needed to go out and do in the world. Um, so I had what you have read about, which is my year of dating wildly, where I had mm-hmm. so much fun out there in that world. And um, then I had something really awful happen when I got stealthed, which is when someone removes the condom without consent. And it had so happened that he had been tracking my period for a while. And the first time we slept together, he took the condom off and I became pregnant. And, um, that was at the time I was, uh, pretty naive and had no idea that such things could occur, um, that anybody would ever do something like that. Like who would do that? Right. And, um, turns out a lot of people would, I don't have stats on how many, but I have a six-year-old daughter. Now I left him when she was uh, six months old and then he left her when she was about two. And so, Um, I've been raising her alone as a solo parent, along with my two teen boys that I co-parent with my ex-husband, who's a wonderful guy. I had to like start a career during while all that was happening, kickstart a new career after being a stay-at-home mom, I should say, because 
um, when you get divorced, you have to make your own money at some point. <laughs> so I did. And um, so, yeah, that just brought me to here. And um, now, you know, after like years of healing and working through stuff and getting my feet under me, I'd say I'm, I'm like actually ready to like write about it and share my story, which you have seen some of. Yeah. And we'll put a, a link to uh, Emily's medium articles. We'll put that in the show notes. So if anybody would like to read some of the work that Emily's put out there into the world, you can do that too. So there's a lot we can talk about today, like so much. <laughs> So maybe we start back, not the beginning, but the beginning of your second chapter. After getting divorced, I think we all experience a whole lot of change, like even to a degree that I know I didn't anticipate. My friendships changed, like my work changed, like things that I, like I knew my romantic life would change. I didn't know it would impact so many other things too. One of your essays that I thought was really interesting, you've written about seeing your social status change after divorce. In particular, you shared some stories about changes in your social groups. You even saw like some people from one of your former groups at a table in a Mexican restaurant. You know, can you kind of talk about what that experience was like and how it made you feel? Isolated. Um, it's funny because it's something that like divorce is so tricky because it's something that you know you have to do, right? It's like nobody does it because they're like, you know what, I really want this. It's like, I really want that life. And you think, even if you think you do, because we fantasize about aspects of the life, like having our own bed, having our own space, having um, to only worry, you know, that the mess that is made in the house is only yours. And it's not some, you, you know, there's none of that. But I think what we don't always think about is how um, our social structures will change, just like you said. And so coming out of divorce, it's suddenly like, you're just other, you know, you don't, I don't want to call it marginalized, but especially if you're in a community like we were at a private school, private religious parochial school, whatever, it's it's a marriage culture, right? People are married and people yeah. do things together and they're very social together. And for me, um, that just kind of dropped off. I went from hosting huge Sunday dinners with like wine and kids running everywhere to like um, anytime I'd invite somebody over, only the woman would come. Does that happen to you? No. Well, I have realized my social outings have changed. Like really it's me and a bunch of other divorced women. Like yeah. it's, it's really made a big switch. And then uh, like the women that are married are actually now in the minority mm-hmm. and I don't really hang out with other couples at all. Right. And it's like, I, I mean, I love men. Like I wanted to, I loved my friend's husbands, but something happens and this is so awkward to say, but I, it's true. Something happens when suddenly you're, a, you're not a married woman attached to that person yeah. anymore that almost, it's not like your girlfriends are threatened by you. I don't want to go that far, but it's just like men being men, especially cisgender men being men. They, um, if you're available, it's like, they just, they start looking at you differently. The women start looking at you differently. Like they're kind of like, uh, are you, or aren't you flirting? Or I don't know. And if you're things that used to be totally normal are suddenly like suspect, I guess. And men are kind of like there. I, I got to hand it to a few couples that I would be like, Hey, do you guys want to all come over for dinner or something? Cause I needed to feel normal. I needed to feel like yeah. connected to my social circle. And, um, then the man would come and they'd be like, hell yeah. Like we want to hang out with you too. Still Emily. But most of the time it was like, Oh, sorry, he couldn't make it. Or, you know, last minute I'd be like preparing for all the people in the family, but it would just be like everyone, but the husband. So yeah. I don't know what that's about. Laura and I actually have a friend that's talked about this a little bit. Our friend, Sarah, who's talked about how now sometimes she feels like a seat filler. So -hmm. like if somebody Mm -hmm. cancels or someone's husband can't come, she gets invited, but she's not like first choice at times. And it's really annoying to her. 
which Sarah is awesome. I'm just going to say Sarah does not need to be anyone's seat filler. But yeah, you're just making me think of that. And she's told Lauren and that she's told Laura and I that story a few times. And it is, it's it's a weird thing that I don't exactly understand. I think also on the flip side and Heather, you and I have talked about this where it's also sometimes hard when you're on to the next phase to connect with those friends who are still married and their home life looks different. And we do have this interesting bonus time to work on ourselves and side projects and interests that are outside of what we may have been doing when we were married. And you're kind of in that loop of kind of more domestic projects and interests. Like sometimes I'll go with friends to brunch we're talking about like kids dentist appointments or things like that. And I'm like, well, I want to talk about like I'm training for the marathon or we have other things going on that are of interest to me. And so it often just feels like there's this big disconnect on, you know, your lives all of a sudden look very different very quickly. Yeah. Well, really quick, Laura, there's some hostility. I remember like one or two friends being like, I called them my freakends. This is before I had (laughs) my daughter, obviously, but my freakends. And I would say, like, so sometimes I'd be like, do I want to put the A in freaking this weekend? Or do I just want to keep it like F-R-E-E, you know? So it would be like, <laughs> you have that choice, you know? But it was like, you, you know, I remember one friend kind of passing me a biting comment, like, at least you get days off, you know, like, cause I was sort of lamenting how I was having a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that really speaks more to like the pressure on moms in our world. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, to have mm-hmm. free interests and, and pursuits other than that. And I, I'm with you. I don't want to talk about everyone's kitchen renovation. And that's the other thing that happened when I became single, right? Is like people are talking, this is how, this is social status. This is like currency in our world is like, where'd you go on vacation? What are yeah. you doing with your house? And, um, I mean, and, and kids sports and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, come on. And, and weirdly a lot of like complaining about husbands too, which I'm just yeah. like not down with, yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. Anyway? So what had happened was I was going <laughs> to, I had, um, decided to swear off men for a hot minute because I was like, you know, I've been, I've been going hard and I've been having so much fun, but it, there's part of having fun. That's also like, you know, I, it doesn't always feel good because it's not really a gentle world out there in the world of single ladies dating. Um, so I needed a break, right? Like we do, we take little breaks and sort of reconnect with ourselves. And I had it in my mind that I was going to go get an amazing vibrator, you know, that this was going to just change my life. And I wasn't going to need men. A friend of mine at the time was like, you know, you need, there are outposts, which are the men that you sleep with or the people that you have sex mm -hmm. with. Right. And then you need granola along the way. Like you can't just, you know, survive you know, you need snacks for the journey. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to go pick up a snack for the journey. And, um, I end up chatting with this girl who's like a really nice young flight attendant. Who's just gotten literally off work, like off a plane and had just had a massively disappointing encounter with this Brazilian man who would like to, you know, like they do promised untold pleasure. And it was like, mm-hmm failed miserably and she was left <laughs> like what okay so we're talking we're talking and like we're sharing we're swapping stories and we're talking about what feels good in the kind of vibrators we like and um and we're at early to bed in Chicago that amazing place right yeah. on Clark Street right and um so we I buy a vibrator and we like have hit it off so much that we're like hey let's go get a drink there's this really cool Mexican place across the street <laughs> and I walk in with my like bag of vibrators and this young flight attendant And there is a table. And I think I wrote this. It's like medieval long. There's literally like 22 people at the table. It's so many couples that I used to hang out with a lot. And I walked right in and I just, I, you guys, my stomach, my heart just dropped into my stomach. It just felt so 
horrible. Like um, I, I must have gone completely white and my face fell because she looked at me like, are you going to pass out right now? And she immediately like walked in. She goes, don't say anything. Let's just, let's go. And we like walked out and went to Hopleaf for a drink instead. But um, it was just a really awful feeling. I still get nauseous thinking about it. Yeah. Well, it feels like uh, that something similar happened to me on a smaller <sighs> scale and it does. It feels like people have like decided or have deemed you not worthy or too much of a mess or too much of a pain. And like, these were my good friends. And it's like, okay. The term hot mess really fucking pisses me off. Sorry. No, you can cuss. Okay. <laughs> <That's good. loud. laughs> it's, I, I just, I, I just, I think it is such a disservice to women when we call people like, or, or she's really going through it. Like as if yeah. we never have, those are the times. And I, I hope I can be better about this. Because when we get comfortable in our lives, which I kind of am now, you don't notice the people that are like other, right? As much. So I just, yeah. man, being a mess, that's just a terrible, because as if to say that we're not always a mess, somebody, there's yeah. always a life is messy. Life is joy and suffering in Buddhism. You know, it's like the two things it's, there's nobody gets yeah. out of it. I don't know. I just, yeah, it's a really, it was a real wake up call for like, oh, that is not my life anymore. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I, Laura, you and I have talked about this a little bit about reframing the hot mess idea that what looks like a hot mess to a lot of people is actually healing. It's actually mm -hmm. finding yourself. It's actually figuring things out. And guess what? You don't flip a switch and are suddenly where you're supposed to be in your life. There, it's a journey actually. And it takes time and you have to try things, figure out what I'm going to cry. Actually, it's it's a whole thing. And actually what looks like a total destructive mess a lot of times is someone figuring it out and it's actually positive. So I try to reframe because so many people are so hard on themselves when they're going through it. You know, and it's like, yeah. no, you're figuring it out and it's okay to screw it up. It really is, you know, and what looks like screwing it up is actually you healing and you figuring it out. People are really uncomfortable with seeing someone figure it out. Yeah, I agree. No, it's very true. Um, and well, that kind of leads me to something else you said that I love and Laura, you and I have talked about this a lot too, is that post-divorce for some reason, everybody loves to give you advice pertinent to, you know, <laughs> being a hot mess. They've got lots to say. You know, from well-meaning friends and they're not trying to be, they're not trying, they're trying to help you that, you know, it's coming from a good place. Uh, but managing all that advice can be funny. And, you know, I love what you have to say about F the advice. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Cause I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, like for one, nobody knows what you're going through except for you. Like nobody really knows. I mean, it's really great when we can find a person that does, you know, that, that can see you and witness that part of you on your journey. But like what I've like come to find is that we always know the way. I mean, you know, the way, you know what you're supposed to do. We have to train ourselves to listen to that, but it, it, it's literally a, a feeling in our gut. Right. And, yeah. and we're so as women and just, especially as white women, to be honest, we're so used to this prescribed um, way of being and doing things and like, and who you're supposed to listen to and where you take your counsel from. Right. And uh, we just, we can't, we can't do that anymore. It's just when it really comes down to it, like, what helps me to make the shift to like just living my own life and being okay with it. And by the way, I still struggle. I still worry about what people might think, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But, but when I looked back on like decisions that I made or like times that I was texting friends and being like, should I, or shouldn't I, or what does this guy think? Like we always, if we're, if we're wondering, we already know the answer. And so we just need to like own that and accept it and not make it something negative about us, I guess. But I guess when I think about like the coolest people out there, the ones that are, um, 
making cultural shifts or scientific advances or sociopolitical change. There are people just living their own lives. Like, yeah. Why can't we do that? Like you don't, I don't know. I, I love living a softer life, but like, instead of like, it's hard being out there dating in the big city and like putting yourself out there all the time. And, you know, now I'm in a relationship, which is really wonderful. Actually today is nine months, which is like, what? he's a cutie too. He's so cute. Thank you. <laughs> it's like record setting for, um, for, you know, when you're a mom out there dating, usually things don't last long and you got to be out there like doing your own damn thing. I don't know. There's no sense listening to the other people because they don't know what you're supposed to do. And if all of us can tune into what we're supposed to do in our lives, like whether that's like today, right now, I'm going to eat this for lunch and I'm going to walk this way instead of that way. Like, or whether it's like, you know what, I'm going to dye my hair purple, or I'm going to make myself, um, try this really crazy, freaky sex temple kind of thing. Like it's, <laughs> it's all stuff that doesn't matter to anybody. Like if you're, if you want to do it, do it because literally other people's opinions, just, they, they just don't matter. I like what one person I know you say, what other people think of me isn't any of my business. Yeah. Yeah which I think is really good. And Laura, you've always been, cause this is something I've struggled with too. And Laura, you've always been really good at asking like, well, what do you think you should do? <laughs> you know, cause a lot of things I'll be struggling with. And I'm like, Hey, and then Laura's like, what do you want to do? Like, stop. <laughs> well, I think also you get through a divorce, which is huge and life altering. And then you know, we touched on some of it. I mean, it changes everything about your life and you have done that and you have worked through it because it's real easy to not do that, right? It's really easy sometimes just to stay with what you know. So if you've made it to the other side of things and you like, then you kind of learn to trust yourself more, I think, because you've gone through those things. And so while again, friends can be very well-meaning, but if they haven't gone through all of that, then it's like, well, that's nice that you have your opinions, but like, I have just did this, did this like massive life overhaul. So I don't know that I need the peanut gallery to like weigh in on certain things. That's so good, Laura. Like, like what, well, and that's back to that mess comment. Like what we just did and what you just did, it maybe looks like a mess to the other people, but it's actually like agency and you doing so much work. You do not need anybody else's ideas of that. You don't even realize that the alchemy of that transformation until you've been through it, you know, life had boy rebuilding your life after such a big event. is just so, it's just such a funny thing because you're so strong and also feeling so having so many like difficult feelings all at the same time. <laughs> it's very confusing. Yeah. Every day I'm happy for my life and how it looks now. And at the same time, I'm like, I never thought my life would look like this. And this is hard. <laughs> like those feelings are, I think are just so common because you can appreciate what you've made it to and that you've gotten there. And again, my life is so much happier and my own than it was when I was married, but oh man, it's hard to do it on your own and to make these choices and to, you know, it's a hard hustle sometimes. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, when it comes to dating and sex, you know, to that point, Emily, you've written a lot about giving yourself space and like emotional space and physical space and, and all kinds of room to allow yourself to figure out and expand your ideas of sexuality post-divorce. What are some of the things that you've learned? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I have learned what I like. I've learned to demand it. I learned both like how to find the strength to claim my own sexuality and my own pleasure, but also how to... Um, demand it from other men and gently and like really lovingly, honestly, teach them different ways. Um, but you know, you're making me think of a conversation I recently had with some other divorced girlfriends and we've all been trying something lately that honestly has been a little revolutionary for me at 44, which is 
sad to say. You know, there was a, a, a study that I recently read that said men finish like 90% of the time after like sleeping with someone for the first time. For women, it is 10%, 10%. And part of it, there's actually, uh, so people usually that are dating post-divorce are not great about protection. I'm just going to say that straight out. A lot of people, you know, things happen, but some people will consensually not use protection and because they want to be able to finish. And so the conversation I had with my girlfriends was about how they feel so much stress about making sure the man that they're with finishes. And it's like, well, did you? No, but I don't expect to. Or like there's a whole thing about like condoms, you know, where men will say things like, well, it's hard for me to finish with a condom on. And it's like, well, I'm probably not going to finish at all, you know, and it's just kind of an interesting conversation to your point of who's being prioritized, who's being like treated as like, well, that's got to happen no matter what. And then like, you're just not, I don't know. It's kind of a cultural thing that I think is really interesting of who's prior, who's, whose pleasure is prioritized. That was one of the things that I learned that I was going to say to you too, that I learned how much um, I will like um, disavow certain things about myself just for a chance at love or connection because being yeah. single was so cold, you know, and you want that intimacy and that closeness. And yeah, we're bad at protection. I hear that. That is so um, beautifully put that we will disavow things, put ourselves at a disadvantage, not take care of ourselves at a chance for love because yeah. we're sometimes we're that desperate. I'm going to cry. We've already made me cry twice, but yeah, like we do, we like actually do disservices to ourselves or we make choices to our own detriment. Cause like maybe there's a chance, you know, and whenever you're in that mindset, it's not, that's not how it is. Cause that's not what love is. Love is easy. Like there's a peace there. There's a safety there. And for someone who's the right person, they don't want you doing that. They don't, they don't want you doing things that are bad for you or that are to your detriment. They don't want that if they're the right person. I think that's why we often hear more stories and see them in these dating groups of women who are giving these men who are treating them terribly 10th chances to be, you know, like they let it go on. Well, maybe he's, if I just do the whatever men aren't doing that though, they're so quick to just move along if it's not exactly perfect. But women, I feel like give so much more latitude to honestly bad behavior. I don't know yeah. why. But again, I think it is, Emily, what you hit on of just like, just maybe if I change this or if I put up with this, then I will get that connection that I'm seeking. Yeah. Well, you even wrote an essay about this. And I think the way you put it was thinking about maybe this is the best I can get. Mm -hmm. Emily, I remember you said that and that resonated with me. I was like, I think a lot of women think that way. Maybe this yeah. is the best I can get. I'm dating over 40. This, this is just what I get. Oh yeah. There's a great book out there right now. It's written by an academic and I'm sorry, I don't have her name right now, but it's called the tragedy of heterosexuality. Maybe you've seen it. It is um like straight women are y'all okay. Is basically what it is. And it's kind of like a, this just, yeah, we, it is. Sometimes it is the best we can get and we can get a piece of the pie. Like I've been talking a lot about my current partner about where sexuality fits into like our, um, relationship hierarchy and priorities. And for me, it's like, like the molten center, it's like the foundation of the pie. And for him, it's like a piece of the pie, which is just ironic that I would meet the guy, the <laughs> one guy straight by <laughs> for whom sex is not like, let's go all the time. You know, it's really, but it's been amazing to explore that as like a more integrated thing rather than like everything. And I think yeah. coming off of like this time of dating out there and it, sex is like a flash in the pan. It's so hard to come by. Like, it, I mean, no, it's not, you can have it whenever you want, but like you don't. 
And so when you finally get the chance to as a divorced woman and like as a mom and when the stars align and your kids aren't around and you can actually <laughs> quit, you're like, fuck, I'm not going to miss this chance. Like, let's bang it out. Come on. And then it's just like, you accept a lot. And then sex can cover a lot of sins, you know, uh, in yeah. a relationship if it's good. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Isn't that the truth? So oh, there's God, so I many, I don't know. This is like a whole, I feel like this is like the center of, for most divorced women of like mm. nego you make negotiations negotiations and compromises with yourself. It's, it's not like, it's like you think about what am I willing to give up for that chance at love? What am I willing to give up here? What am I willing to give up there? And you find yourself where you're just like giving, it's like, I didn't get a divorce to continue giving pieces of myself away. Like that's not where I got a divorce. You know, and like, yeah. but so many of us choose to do that still. So I don't know. I, I think I'm getting better about not doing that lately, but it's an interesting conversation because I think it's most divorced women struggle with that. What pieces of yourself do you think you give away? Um, I think feeling loved, feeling safe, feeling like my happiness matters. Like as long as they're happy, I'm I'm okay, which is a fucked up way to think about things. I mean, <laughs> you yeah, know, that's not the best. Relatable the best. as hell though. Yeah. It's not good. I know that's something that I give up, you know, or I don't need this. It's okay if they get mad at me. It's okay if uh, they're nice to me most of the time. It's okay if the emotional closeness isn't there. They're a good person. It's like, you know, you're just giving giving things up piece by piece until you're like, wow, why did I get a divorce in the first place? You know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's just very interesting. I think learning to stand in your own truth and hold yourself accountable for what you know is important. It's so great. It's interesting. All right. So Emily, you had a pretty big experience post-divorce that led you led to you becoming a mom to your third child. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So this is a hard one to tell. Um, but I, I mentioned it up top, right? I was out there dating in the world and having so much fun having sex. And then um, I thought, you know, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to try a different approach on the dating apps to um, work on like meeting somebody that I would date long-term for like a period of months or whatever. And I meet this guy and he is everything my ex-husband wasn't. He was super into me, hanging on every word, responsive, like in the blink of an eye over text or calls or whatever, always wanted to see me, wanted to know everything about me. Right. Oh, so delicious. Like, it was just like, this is amazing. He asked me one day when my period was, and I was like, why? Like, oh, interesting. Cause I wasn't on birth control or any of any kind. And he was like, um, oh, I just want to be able to support you when you have PMS. And I was like, well, I don't really, thankfully I don't really get <laughs> super, super severe. Yeah. And anyway, but I told him then we had, he had planned this like elaborate night in a hotel for us to go. And like, we were going to have sex for the first time. Cause we were waiting. Right. Cause it was like the real deal. And it's so much sweeter when you take it slow. Right. And sometimes, cause like I said before, I would have sex pretty fast usually, <laughs> but so it was like a month in or something. And I ended up getting, he took the condom off while we were having sex. And it's one of those like mind fuck moments where you're like, did I wait, was that my fault? Like, that was my thought. You know, it was like, I should have known. Did I know? Did I know that he did like, but did I let him keep going even though I knew, but like, I didn't, I didn't understand what had happened. And I was like, I really thought it was my fault, like all along. And of course I never blamed him. We marched to the, um, three hours later, we marched to the, to the like Walgreens or CVS and picked up a morning after pill. He handed me the pill. I don't know what happened. It didn't take, I got pregnant. And then it was really the night before I found out I was pregnant that, um, I saw like the first flare of like, uh, abuse and control 
And um, it had to do with me not giving him enough attention at a birthday party that I was throwing for my girlfriend that I invited him to, to be nice that I'd had planned for like three or four weeks, you know? Um, and I wasn't, I was cooking and preparing drinks and talking with friends in the kitchen instead of tending to him. And it was an all night fight. And I'm not a, like a fight person, but I am um, probably more that anxious attachment type that would need that really wants to figure something out. You know, like I'm also just a problem solver by nature. So if I can't figure something out, it's just, it's vexing to me. And it was highly emotional. And then it was like very passionate sex afterward. And, you know, that was ended up being the cycle of our relationship and um, throughout a pregnancy and then post-pregnancy, I can't even, it got so bad ladies. It was just, um, you know, I'd be texting a dad from a, my kid's baseball team to coordinate a ride pickup. And it would be the blow up of the century Him screaming, fuck you across the street from me, like in front, like after going out to dinner, it, it got like, who are you texting? Who are you texting? Who are you texting? Like, oh, it's my sister or I'm checking my bank account or whatever, you know, it was like a constant vigilance. And I, I became a shell of myself. I became like nervous breakdown territory falling on the ground, you know, not to mention with pregnancy hormones and trying to keep my two little boys feeling safe through all this. And there was just a lot of psychological abuse that they were also experiencing in that dynamic and in our living situation. So the night before I was scheduled to have my daughter, um, I was pretty clear that this was not going to work out because we were, I was on the ground, I was on the ground again, just like sobbing in them. I would like pull my hair. I can't explain it. Like I would like yank at my very own hair. I would, I would slap my own face. Like you can hear me stuttering right now. Even it's like, and talking faster probably because that's what trauma does. You know, that's when you, when you get hit with this, it's, um, I don't know. It was just unlike anything I had ever experienced in my life. And and it, it, it completely flattened me. So uh, there was a point when I was actually hitting my own face. I've never shared this story ever because I was like, I would say, I'm sorry. And like slap my face over and over. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And there's nothing I could do to snap him out of it when he was in one of his rages. And, um, I saw my daughter regard me, my baby girl regard me when that, when I was doing that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can never let her think this is how to woman. And so I started, you know, figuring out, you know, reaching out to girlfriends, thank God they didn't abandon me. And it was a short relationship all told it was 15 or 16 months. Cause when she was six months with the help of my girlfriends, I, I mean, I, I cannot even tell you how important girlfriends are and how I want to tell every woman out there listening that if you're experiencing this, reach out to their friends. And if you are witnessing this, stay close. Don't ask for anything. Don't give advice, but stay close to her. Let her know. My friend said just a few magic words, Carrie. She said, you know, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to make this work because as women, we're taught, like we can make anything work. We have to make this work. We don't want to give up. Um, so I was able to move out and I found a beautiful new home thanks to, you know, employing different friends for different strategies. Like, can you help me go look at houses and be there with me to talk to the landlords so that I don't fall apart so that they know that I'm legit and I will get this house or this place. Or can you, um, help me come pack up all of my shit? Yes, I'll be there. No problem. I will bring food and a Bluetooth speaker and we will do this for you when he would be gone one day, you know? Yeah. I got out. And, um, then I had to piece my life back together while raising a baby alone. So that was very tricky. How did you I'll preface this by saying minus the self stealthing part. I was, I have been in a relationship that was very, very similar 
way in my past. And something that I dealt with, and I want to ask you about this, looking back on it, what I think is interesting when someone is awful to you in normal life, it's like, oh, I'm just not going to be anywhere near you anymore. That was totally uncool. I don't like that. I'm going to stay away from you. But in romantic relationships, we stay a lot longer, you know, and like somehow we rationalize it and we stick with it. And a lot, and I, in abusive relationships, I don't know what the number is. It might be something like five or seven. Most, it, it, I, I don't hold me to that number, but it's a lot of times that women think about leaving and it actually takes a long time to actually, I know for me, it took me a long time to leave. The How did you navigate number, that? Yeah. The average number of years a woman is in an abusive relationship is 10. Wow. I don't even know how to think about that, you know, cause now I look back and I'm like, wow, I, I, I like, I, it, and I don't have any shame about it. Cause like, I know it's normal, but it's like, wow, how did I stay so long? Like, how'd I do that? Why'd I do that? I, I regret it all the time. I think back, like I should have just stayed in my apartment. I should have just had the baby by myself because I did feel a calling. We'll talk about that in a minute, but Laura, did you have yeah. a question? I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to, you know, our earlier conversation about friends and advice. And I feel like your story was a really good example of, I think often friends don't know how to support you, especially as you go through a lot of these life changes with divorce and relationships and dating and all that, if they're not in that stage of life, like it's challenging. Right. But I think your friends, it sounds like did such a good job of listening and being there when you needed them. And I think that's a big piece because often when somebody's going through something big, they're not going to listen to your opinions anyway. Like if you're like, you need to leave, you have to do this. Like that's not going to resonate, but those who can like sit close, listen, pay attention and be there when needed is like the best way it sounds like to really like get in there because you have that circle around you who it sounds like we're kind of hovering and waiting and there for you when you needed them. Totally. I think it's pretty powerful. I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate those women. I, they just showed up and they came out of the woodwork in weird ways. And, you know, part of why I love you doing this podcast, you two is like, I didn't know. I always thought that only like weak women, women ended up in abusive dynamics. And, um, I have had a lot of people tell me that since then, like, Oh, I thought you were strong, Emily. I always thought of you as a strong person. That's so weird. That that happened to you. I hate that. So there's shame, right? Heather, like it's a little, it's your fault. It's your fault somehow. Really good at blaming the women for abuse in our society (laughs) or any, or assault or anything. Um, so, (laughs) I, uh, I don't know, sharing this as, as I've been sharing in like grocery store checkout lines. I don't know. You can tell, you can just tell, like I see game knows game, right. And I can <laughs> yeah. another woman. And like, so I'd be like, well, I was in an abusive relationship and I raised my daughter alone. Now, you know, I got stealthed and I mean, I'll even, I'll tell anybody who will listen about that on the, on the, honestly, because I mean, even my gynecologist didn't know what stealthing was. She was like, is that when they put a, put a pill in your drink? And I'm like, oh my word, let's have, oh, let's have- Lord. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, um, it's a thing that happens. And then it's amazing how many women have said that happened to me. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. the same abuse. It's like, it's, it's crazy. How many people like you, Heather, are like, I had a relationship like that once, or I'm in one right now. And then in which case you just say, I see you, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to make it work. Yeah. I, no matter what you think you, you don't have to live that way. It's so, uh, Oh, I've met a few women that are definitely in relationships like that. And it, uh, it breaks my heart to a degree because I, I don't want any, nobody should live like that. 
really, you know, and they'll say things like, well, I don't have money to leave. Okay. I get that. I get that. These are all real things. These are real things. Regardless, you don't have to live like this. Like we can think something can be figured out here. Um, And it's hard because like, these are real issues when there are plenty of women that don't have money to leave. They're in, they don't have family support. They feel all alone. And those things are real. Like that's not a made up thing. And it's a real issue. Listen, I have so much compassion and this gets into the, into a conversation a bit about choice in our country right now and women's right to choose what they do with their bodies. But, um, I didn't, I was not in a financial position to leave and I'm still suffering the financial hardship of that choice. So that is a real thing, but it is still not worth it to stay. It is still not worth it. I, my adrenals, my, my system was riddled with cortisol. And, and I, it took me years to recover years of twice weekly therapy for a while, then once weekly therapy, so much mindfulness, like how many times I've sat in a room feeling triggered and counted all the blue things in it just to try to bring myself back into the present moment in my body and trust that I'm safe. Like it is. And that was only from one year. Can you imagine what, what the havoc is wreaked when you spend 10 years in a relationship like that? It's not worth it. And, and there's always, I love this, um, expression in my friend from Argentina growing up in my twenties, con el bebé viene el bolillo. So with the baby comes the baguette, you know, like it's kind of like when you, and I like the notion of that, when you have a choice and you make a hard choice, whether it's like, if you're going to have a child, the money comes like the things, I don't know, you have to do what's good for you in your life. And I'm not big on talking about like manifesting in terms of Like I'm all about the general highest and greatest good, but like when you serve your own highest and greatest good, which is absolutely hundred percent of time going to be not staying in an, in a relationship that compromises or disavows your, your core. And that makes you like stress the fuck out that you like hear footsteps and you immediately get triggered and have a brainstem response and shivers down your spine and across your body. Like that's not healthy living. And, And you have to trust in a way it's flinging yourself off a giant cliff and saying, catch me universe, please. Cause I didn't have family money at all. I didn't have like, I've, I've hustled hard at my job in the past few years. And thank God I've got like a good situation now, but I often think about women who are in different socioeconomic categories who are doing shift work and whatever, and they've been made to have a baby. That's absolute bullshit because there is no support for us out there. You have a kid alone. Do you know how many times people would be like, let me know if you need any help. And I'm like, then you ask for help and even it's your best friend and they still can't do it for you because they they, aren't, they have a cough that morning or something. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to cancel a work meeting. Well, and I think so often it just pushes women into another not great relationship, right? Because you need the extra income and the support. And so you kind of, I feel like it creates a lot of patterns of just kind of hopping from one to the next because you don't have that other level of support built in. And like you said, there isn't anything available for women who are the provider or, you know, the childcare, the everything, if you don't have an involved partner helping you, like, what is that safety net? You don't have it. The next relationship, another bad marriage, whatever it is, because you need that. And the kind of what happens from that is that the men who probably aren't so great, who are so willing, you know what I mean? So quickly stepping in to fill that void. And, you know, you're not taking the time to figure out what's right because that need is there. Well, and this is a great like lead in. Well, it has great isn't the right word. It's an appropriate lead into having the power to make your own choices about your body, which, you know, at the time, Emily, I, I believe you lived in Illinois. And at that time, pro being able to be pro-choice, abortion is fully legal here. 
things have changed in the last, you know, year or so where the landscape's a lot different depending on where you live a lot across the country. You know, what would you like to say about having access to making the choice that felt right to you at the time? It was invaluable for me to be able to have that choice because it wasn't in question when I was pregnant. Um, and I wrestled with it for so long. I mean, I went a full three months, honestly, and I, I, I didn't understand, I didn't understand the full scope of what that would mean to wait so long, but it was a, I could tell that it was a very dangerous relationship I was in. And yet, um, I mean, I absolutely would have had an abortion because I had no intention of ever having another kid, to be honest. I, I really was intending not to, to be, I was going to like, hopefully, acquire one through a future relationship or something, but to have my own biologically was not on the, not in the cards for me. And yet at the same time, I had felt this, like I've been meditating for like 20 years. So I definitely like have a um, different, slightly different perspective in terms of like what God does for me and put me, puts me in certain situations and, and how I stay connected in the universe. And I had felt this soul hovering around me for a number of years. And even to the point, my ex-husband, <laughs> I was like, Hey, should we have another kid? Cause I feel like there's a third one out there. And he's like, Oh girl, it's not going to be with me. I'm off to get a vasectomy right now. And I was like, okay. Cause my ex-husband was a lot older than me too. And I was like, fine. So at our divorce proceeding, he was like, Hey, good luck getting that other kid. Cause he like, it was genuinely something that he knew that I felt. And so when this happened, I was, my instant reaction was like, are you fucking serious? God, like, this is what, how it was supposed to happen. I'm like really and it was like I kept when I got really really quiet within and even though I could see the the very the danger of being in this relationship it still landed on me that I was supposed to have this child that she was you know I needed to have her and so but if I hadn't been given that choice I can't imagine like I'll be honest like I'm I'm mad at her a lot like she changed my life she set me back in my career. Cause I can't like travel for work. And you know what? I write speeches for leaders of pharma companies. I need to be able to travel. I do other stuff and I can a little bit more now, but my parents are aging and, um, and I didn't used to live near them. And thankfully they help me now, but it's, it's like, it's, there's real implications on a woman to have a baby. Yeah. And that's a big one. I had to decide I've had conversations with colleagues about like, Hey, I see you like trying to climb this ladder and I'm, I'm here to support that, but don't try to make me do it with you. I can't right now. That's not what I'm do here to do. I'm here to be a really good colleague and like make my leaders audiences feel genuinely communicated with and appreciated. And that's like, that's it. That's where I am right now. Um, yeah. Cause I can't like, could I be ballin'? Like, I'd love to think that I could be, could I have written my book by now? Could I have like been totally, I mean, I've written it, but could I have it like together to send to a publisher? Maybe, I don't know. Like, would I have a house that I owned instead of rented? Like, and here I am coming from privilege, a shit ton of privilege. I'm white. I'm college educated. I grew up in an affluent family, although my, my immediate family wasn't affluent, but I, I know what it is. I know what's possible. Grew up around country clubs and I still can barely make ends meet. Come on. Like, how are you going to tell a woman who's got none of those things that she has to have her baby? No, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think somewhere where I said is that if you want to be a mom, you should be able to be a mom. You know, like we should support you in being able to keep your baby if that's what you want. And if you do not want to have a child, you shouldn't have to do that either. Like mm -hmm. whatever you want to do is what you should be able to do. It is your life and your choice and your body, all those things. And it is just, 
and it's a real thing. Like it, that's the thing that I always get stuck on is that sometimes people talk about these things like it's a an other issue, right? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I, I so many, so many. Like I can't even. It, it's like it is such a, it is a huge thing. And like living in Illinois and most of the places that I've lived in my life, it has been fully legal for you to make your own decisions about your body and your life and your future. And it just like I get real angry, which is funny because I grew up in pro life land. Yeah, <laughs> like evangelical just, fundamentalist pro-life land. And I could not be more different now as an adult because, you know, you learn things, you learn things that this is real. It's not an other thing. It's everybody around you. It's you. It's this is a real thing that has real consequences. And not, only bad things happen when you force women to do things that they're not ready to do, that they are not able to do, that is not the right choice for them, no matter what it is. Parenting is so hard when you choose it when you were intentionally <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to have my kids and I chose when I wanted to have my kids and I willfully entered parenthood and it is hard every day. It is hard. And I can't imagine how much harder that is when it, that wasn't your choice to, to go down that path. Because when you feel like you've got your career in place and your finances and all of those things, you've done all that planning, right? All that prep and you've made that choice. It still is every single day it is a hundred times harder than I thought it would be. So not getting to make that choice about going down that path. Like I, I don't, I don't know what that would feel like, but I can imagine that I would be really resentful of that situation just by nature of how much having a child changes every part of your life. Yeah. Well, and I love what you it had does. to say, Emily, and it's very obvious in your, so I follow Emily on social media too. And it's so, and, and I think this is actually obvious, like externally, the way you put it. And I thought it was really beautiful talking about your daughter that you felt spiritually called. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I just love those words you use that you felt spiritually called to your daughter. And I just love that. Oh, thanks. It is interesting to say, use those words. And then when you think about like in Kansas, it's all about like, <laughs> you should be spiritually called to have a baby. And I've, I've had people be oh, like, mm -hmm. you did the right thing. Like they think I'm one of them because I had this baby and it's like, don't mistake this. Yeah. It was, but like, not everybody's going to feel that way. And I did feel that way. And even when you feel like, like what you were just saying, Laura, about like, even when you financially prepared and it was intentional, it's still hard. Even when you know it was a spiritual calling, it's still hard. And like, I don't know what call, what having her serves now in a spiritual way, other than like, I know we're both learning how to be strong women. I think she's got it figured out more than I do. She is a Sassalina extraordinaire, <laughs> but, um, I don't, I don't know why still, you know, like the broader purpose of why I just knew I had to, my mom actually, um, who I sometimes, you know, we had, have had an estranged relationship in the past, but she's the one who convinced me to have her. Ultimately, she said, um, you know, not a day is going to go by that. You don't think about her and wonder what she, you'd be doing with her right now and what she would look like and how she'd be. And, um, my, our family, we've spent generations caring about what other people think that ends now. I still feel emotional when I think about it because that is when we think about the ancestral lines. And if I even look back, like my, my, my grandmother was abandoned by her mother and then her dad died. And, and then my mom, you know, the, the abuse has always been a, a theme in in our family. And like, what if we could end that together, her and me, maybe that is the purpose. And it's so small. It's such a, like a tiny little thing. Cause it's one family line, but also like, butterfly effect. Like what if all women did that, you know, just kind of like rewrote their story in some way that, um, they felt called to do and being called to do something is sometimes a very difficult mandate. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I was called to this. 
<laughs> and it's funny how, you know, I grew up in right-wing Christianity too, how often I use that term because it's familiar to me and it, it feels resonant, even though now I practice a Hindu form of meditation that is like, basically like, just get on a path to God or whatever you want to call it. And all paths are, you know, just, I don't care whatever anybody else does, but how often that being called to do something is um, used as like a power tool, you know? Yeah. 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 Or manipulation. Now we have for our wrap up, we have a real big question for you. What do you know for sure, Emily? I know for sure that you know, for sure. Heather, I know that you know what you're going to do next, theoretically, and also literally. Laura, I know that you know, whatever questions are turning around in your mind right now, you know, you know what to do. And I do too. I know my next steps. That's what I know for sure. I love that. I just have to listen to them. First part. part. <laughs> is there now? Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that's important to you to cover? Mm. No, I just so appreciate that you all, two amazing, powerful women, are doing this to just share the stories of other women going through this. Because, like we talked about, this can be a lonely journey. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. <laughs> you join us on the Hot Mess Express. It's fun over here. <laughs> it honestly, it's so much more fun. <laughs> We're going to a good place. It's just taking a minute. <laughs> That's one thing actually that, you know, I don't know if you found this when you go through something hard and since I've had like levels of hard, your circle gets smaller, but they get more authentic. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and also that I find that like the more pain I've experienced in life, the more my capacity for lightness mm. and joy and laughter. That's beautiful. I'm also yeah. a better dancer now. I feel like, so like <laughs> the vibe. When the jams come on, I feel like I can find it in my soul a little bit more easily. <laughs> well, you're going to have to send that over here because I'm not a better dancer, nor am I a better singer in any way, shape or form. I can still have fun, but it's not, it's not pretty. <laughs> Maybe dancer is a better term because I don't think I'm very good either. But <laughs> We enjoy it. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you coming here. I think this was a really powerful story to share. And to your point, so many women are going through this stuff. Like they are, and you're not, you know, and anyone who's listening here and you're maybe in the worst part, I try not to cry again. You're maybe in the worst part, you know, you're not, you're not alone and you're not a failure and you're not a screw up and you're not a hot mess. Like this is what making your life better looks like. It really is. But thank you for being here. We will see you next week. Thank you. Still thirsty? You can get bonus content by subscribing to The Thirst Trap on Spotify or Apple or shop Thirsty Gear at thirstythepodcast.com. And don't forget to share this show with your community. Rate, review, and follow us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Thank you.